Well, it is Memorial Day. And uh, Memorial Day is traced back to Decoration Day, which was started in local communities in the, during the Civil War. During the Civil War, um, uh, people would go, Southern women in particular, would go to graveyards and decorate the graves of those who died in the war, the Civil War. And so that's where it started. It eventually became North and South. Uh, it was in 18... So Civil War ends 1865. We, we know of Decoration Days we can trace to 1863, I think. 1868, it becomes a national idea. The... Um, the commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic. That was more of a uh, fraternal organization of ex-military. But he said, we want this to be a national holiday. Uh, he said, it's the com it is the purpose of the commander-in-chief to inaugurate this observance with the hope it will be kept up from year to year while a survivor of the war remains to honor the memory of his departed comrades. So he didn't see it as ongoing forever, but while there was still a single Civil War survival sur survivor, he felt it should go on. And they designated the 30th day in May. In 1971, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act. And that's so we could have three-day weekends. And so instead of it being May 30th, it was, it was the, um, the last Monday in May. Now, personally, that threw me for a loop. Because until 1971, uh, I always knew my mother's birthday when it was Memorial Day. And then, in 1971, I gave her a birthday gift on the wrong day. Because the federal government had messed with me. Um, but I've recovered. And... How, and uh, December 2000, the United States Congress passed the National Moment of Remembrance Act. And what that is is it calls for all Americans at 3 o'clock local time to have a, a moment of silence for the, to remember our war dead. So, so something to remember, uh, Memorial Day is different from uh, Veterans Day. Veterans Day honors those who have served living and dead, I suppose, but Memorial Day specifically is to honor the memory of those who died in the service of our nation. And so when I think of this day, the, my thought for this year is this is a day of, of honoring our national debts. Don't get in a panic. I'm not going to get off political here. But honoring, honoring our national debts to those who have paid such a price for us. And two debts that come to my mind are, first of all, honor. And in Romans 13, 7, we're told, Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And I think it is more than appropriate that we honor those who have served our country, served it well, and especially those who gave the last full measure of devotion. Another debt we have then is gratitude. And we'll come and talk about these a little bit more later, but in John 15, 13, our Lord said, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus, of course, was looking forward to the fact that he was about to lay down his life for his friends, the disciples, but that teaches us a principle. 
that's the greatest sacrifice we can offer, is to lay down our life. Well, it's Memorial Day, and so I wanted to remember some uh, war heroes. Uh, I'm going to mention um, one who died and two who survived, but still are worthy of honor as examples. Specifically, I wanted to think about war heroes in American history that were believers. The first one that comes goes back to when Memorial Day started the Civil War, and that's uh, General Thomas Stonewall Jackson. Uh, you know, called Stonewall was one of the nicknames they gave him. But he was a graduate of the U.S. United States Military Academy, West Point. He, um, he served in the war with Mexico. Do you remember we, we had a war with Mexico back in 1840s? So he was a recent graduate, I suppose. He served there. When he was there, he started being confronted with and considering the issues of religion and Christianity in particular. And so he was going and talking to Catholic priests, Protestant ministers, and others, just thinking through the issues of faith. He eventually did come to trust in Christ as a Savior, and he eventually joined the Presbyterian Church, the Southern Presbyterian Church, and eventually became a deacon in the Presbyterian Church. And was very active in, in, in ministry in many ways. And so I won't take all the time to develop that with you. But in particular, in terms of his war service, um, first of all, he was known for, one of the things that was a distinctive for him is he believed in honoring the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, as a day of Sabbath and no work. It was, it was sacred to him. So much so that back in those days, you know, mail was seven days a week. And if he was going to post a letter, he would calculate how many days it would take to arrive at the recipient and if it was going to arrive on a Sunday, he waited another day before he mailed it so they wouldn't have to open the mail on, on the Sabbath. I mean, that's, that's how he was. He was um, very Sabbatarian in terms of his view of the Lord's Day. Um, again, had a hot, just a, a love for the Lord. I, I was reading just one brief account that uh, in, 18, in March of 1863, uh, he had moved his headquarters to uh, a play, Thomas Yerby's place near Hamilton Crossing. And an outdoor chapel was prepared. You know, if General Stonewall Jackson wanted a chapel, they built a chapel. They felled a number of trees and built a, lot, a number of uh, benches from the felled trees. And they, 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 a thousand soldiers and officers would come and gather for worship. By the way, uh, they led Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday prayer meet, meeting. And on Sunday afternoon, they often had uh, hymn sings. So, and this is during, the, during a war. You know? So, and again, that fits with him, though, right? Lord's Day, war, no war, we're going to honor the Lord. Now, if he had to fight on the Lord's Day, he would. You know, he said, this you've called me to duty. If we're being attacked, I'll fight back. If, so he, would, you know, he found some balance there. But, but in other words, where he was, he highly encouraged following Christ. And many would come to Christ um, and, and follow Christ. And, and many were challenged to renew their commitment to Christ. Often General Lee and other officers would worship there with men of Jackson's Second Corps. And so it was a, what one described it, it was a noble sight to see there those who led our armies to victory and upon whom eyes the nation are turned with admiration and gratitude, melted in tears at the story of the cross and the ex exhibition of the love of God to the repenting and returned sinner. 
Um, Jackson was, loved his country, and so when we were at war with Mexico, he served. When the northern federal troops came into Virginia, he felt like his country had been invaded. And so that's why he joined the Confederate service. He's, he felt like, my homeland's being invaded. I, I, I have no choice. I must rise to its defense. So that was part of his thinking. When he was in battle, he prayed. And he could often be seen on horseback with his hand raised as he would just pray God's blessing over his troops. Some would challenge him and say, you know, you should be, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of silhouette you're giving the enemy. Uh, why are you so visible? And, he's, and his attitude was, I am uh, immortal until it's God's time for me to go. My task is to be faithful in service. When God wants to bring me home, he will. Um, on the night of May 2nd, 1863, General Jackson was seriously wounded and eventually his left arm was amputated. When his chaplain came to him, he said to him, the chaplain said, oh, General, what a calamity. Jackson thanked him and said, you see me severely wounded, but not depressed, not unhappy. I believe that it has been done according to God's holy will, and I will acquiesce entirely in it. You may think it strange, but you never saw me more perfectly contented than I am today. He even told his chaplain that when he was lying wounded on the field, quote, I gave myself up into the hands of the Heavenly Father without a fear. It has been a precious experience to me that I was brought face to face with death and found all is well. Uh, on the final day, he died on the Lord's Day, um, and uh, later, a couple of weeks later, I guess, and the chaplain preached a message for the troops, the thousands that had gathered, and he chose uh, President uh, General Jackson's favorite uh, passage, Romans eight twenty eight: God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those called according to his purpose. So he was a man who served with distinction. He was a man of great faith. He was outspoken in his faith, uh, generous in his faith, and um, lived and died as a believer. And so he's an example in many ways in that way. That was the Civil War. He died in 1863 at the age of 39. I read sometimes of what these guys accomplished and think, 39? Nowadays, some people haven't even moved out of their parents' home yet at 39. <laughs> but that was General Jackson. Can we skip ahead to World War I? So that was ended 1865. We get into World War I, 1914. A name you might know, Alvin York, Sergeant York. And he, too, was a, a devout believer. As a result of his faith, and if you've heard his story, he was a he was a rabble rouser who needed Christ. Of course, all of us need Christ. But he was, he was living a, a most ungodly life. He was convicted of his sin. He repented and turned to Christ as Savior, was grateful for it. He um, received his draft notice. And because of his newfound faith, he really was a convinced, and the church he was in, uh, it was a convinced um, pacifist church. It was, he was a member of the Churches of Christ in Christian Union, not to be confused with the Churches of Christ that we might think of. It's a Wesleyan-Arminian holiness church. So very much in thinking of, of Wesleyan thinking and holiness, but their pacifism is part of their, their, their doctrine. He was convinced of that. 
Um, they tried to get him a draft exemption, um, not because he was afraid, but because he had this conviction. Um, they finally he, they denied it. He went into the service, and, and he had an unusual ability for someone who's a pacifist. He was a great marksman, uh, <clears throat> but he used it for hunting and sport. Um, but being a great marksman is a very useful tool if you're in the military. And to make, again, a, something of a long story short, he finally came to the conviction that he, he was a pacifist because he valued human life. And by using his rifle, he could save more lives than he was taking. And so uh, he received the Medal of Honor because he led an attack on a German machine gun nest. He gathered 35 machine guns that he seized in the attack. He killed at least 25 enemy soldiers and captured 132 prisoners virtually by himself. And so um, <clears throat> he was a... He was, Heroic, but he, uh, he, he took a lot of abuse for his faith. He wrestled with the issue of pacifism, that you know, we should not uh, take a life even in a case of just war. But he came to understand that that value of human life was exactly why he should fight in war, because he was protecting innocent life. And he was a man of great courage, who was awarded the Medal of Honor. So it's really remarkable. Here's a guy who was living kind of a wasteful, foolish, sinful life. Christ totally turned him around to be a, an honored American hero. Um, he didn't have much education. That led him de dealing with financial issues and business decision issues that didn't work out so well. I think he got through second grade. Um, but God honored his name through this young man. That was World War I. So Civil War, and I'm not going to cover all of them. Um, Civil War, uh, Stonewall Jackson. Uh, the World War I in Europe, uh, Alvin Sergeant York. World War II will be my final one, so we're just doing three, is Desmond Doss, another Medal of Honor winner. So so really, York and Doss don't fit Memorial Day because they did not die in battle. But, but what I'm, I want to say, what, in terms of our debt of honor, these men were men who are worthy of our honor and who honor the Lord by how they lived. Desmond Doss was um, a Seventh-day Adventist. He was raised Seventh-day Adventist. Um, he... But he lived in a, a very difficult home. His father uh, was a drunkard. And one of his early memories as a child was his father being drunk and maybe his uncle being drunk also, I think probably both of them. And finally, his father pulled out a gun and threatened to shoot. Uh, his, the, his father threatened to shoot his own brother. I think the mother intervened, took the gun, and I think gave it, to, gave it to Doss and said, here, go hide this. So his religion uh, is pacifist, but you can understand, too, why he had a low view of uh, taking a life when he saw his father's behavior. Amazingly, though, his mother was faithful in raising him uh, in the faith, and he came to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. 
Now, Seventh-day Adventists are, are different from, from where we land in the, in the scriptures. They're called Seventh-day Adventists because they believe the Sabbath is the seventh day. The Lord's Day is the seventh day. They believe in Saturday worship. And some of them take a very strong view as saying Sunday worship is uh, horrible. Um, they have a high view of scripture. They tend to, to have too high a misunderstanding of how the law applies to believers today. And so they would believe themselves to be under dietary restrictions of the law and others. I think there are Seventh-day Adventists who probably are thinking they can, by their behavior, earn salvation. But it was, it's, as I, in my readings of him and, many, and what the Seventh-day Adventist church believes, uh, they believe it's, your salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And they have a, believe in the inerrancy of scriptures. So Desmond Doss was raised in that faith. And he remembers in his home there was a, a poster on the wall of the Ten Commandments. And he used to just stare at that and learn. So he, too, believed it was wrong to take a human life. He never made the, um, the, the, came to the understanding that York did. And so he, he said, but here's the interesting thing. York wanted to avoid the draft. He didn't want to be, he didn't want to be a part of it because he didn't want to be a, a part of war. Desmond Doss believed mightily in the cause. He believed in what America was doing in World War II, but he didn't want to pick up a gun to do it. And so he came forward and said, I want to serve, but I don't want to use a gun. And um, it took all kinds of people tried to say, here, take an exemption. I don't want an exemption. Uh, call me an, a, religi a, a religious conscientious objector, but I want to serve without a gun. So he wanted to serve as a medic. And that was quite a, uh, quite a bit of controversy. Uh, several tried to get him kicked out of the army because he wouldn't use a gun. Uh, when he prayed uh, at night, he would get by his bed and pray. And it was not unusual for boots to fly from around the barracks to try to hit him. They mocked him in every possible way. They gave him um, all kinds of, of difficult duties. Uh, to try and just to try and wear him down one after another after another uh, tr tried to move up the ranks to um, try to get him kicked out of the army unfortunately for them there was an order that had already been come all the way down from the top I think from the president's office uh, authorizing serving as a religious um, a conscientious objector and so they were trying to get him kicked out but here was the here was the law you can't do it. And so they, they went along. But one, you know, different ones are saying, I'm not, you're not going to serve with me. They did everything they could do to make his life miserable, to make him quit. And he wouldn't do it. Well, moving forward, they moved. One of the battles that really, really was terrible in American history was the battle for Okinawa. And he was in, he was in uh, the 77th uh, what would you call that? Regiment? D division? Division. And he, um, they were among others that were trying to take this escarpment, this, this, this hill. And they would take it. It was, it was just saturated with Japanese soldiers. They had caves running in and through it. And so what the Japanese would do is um, they would let the Americans take the top 
during the day, and then at night, they would wipe them out and drive them off the hill again. And this was going on and on. One of the American uh, officers sent back to the ship and said, I need a cargo net. Have you ever seen how uh, soldiers, when they're getting off the ship, they climb down this big, thick net? He, he wanted to install a cargo net on one side of this hill to help make it easier to get up. And so they did. Well, they went through this. They would take it. They would be driven off. They would take it. They would be driven off. And again and again, Desmond Doss would, would at great personal risk, go and rescue uh, soldiers that were injured. One night in particular, it was absolutely devastating. They were up there, and, and, it was, and they said it was like hail falling from heaven, all of the mortar fire and the gunfire. And, and his whole unit was driven off. And he wouldn't leave. His philosophy was, if, they're still, if someone is still breathing, I'm going to work to save their life. Let me step back. One example of that was uh, I heard the testimony of one of the medics that served with him. He was going onto the battlefield and came across a soldier who was severely wounded. Chest, head, legs gone, wounded in chest and head. He looked at him and said, he's not going to survive. I've got to go help someone that will. Desmond Doss came up on him, and, and he was breathing. His philosophy is, if you're breathing, there's life. I'm going to try and save your life. That man lived to be 72 years old. He saved his life. Well, on this day when they were so severely driven off, everyone is leaving, and they kept telling Doss, get off, come down, let's go. And he said, I can't. There are men alive up there that I can help. And so he would go, and he would crawl from one to another, stabilize them, drag them, and then he had figured out a, a rope system where he would lower them down the cliff. And you have to understand, if you've ever seen a picture of him, he's tall, but he's one of these fellows that if he turns sideways, you can't see him. Kind of like myself. And, uh, but anyway, he, was, he, he didn't have a whole lot of stuff to him. But he was hauling these guys, lowering them down. As soon as they were, he would go back and find someone else, stabilize them, rescue them, draw them to the side. And frankly, no one can explain how he survived the withering uh, fire uh, all through that as he kept low and went from one to another. And frankly, the Japanese especially liked to kill the medics uh, because they were such an asset. In the course of that evening, he personally rescued and lowered 75 wounded soldiers all by himself. And then finally, he came down. You can imagine what the guys who had mocked him and told him he'd be of no use without a rifle, what they were saying then. They now all of a sudden were honoring him and appreciating him. Well, they had one more, but, the, but, but, but here they've been doing all this. Rise, take the, take the mount, be driven off, go back the next day. Finally, word came from high up, we have got to take that escarpment. We have got to do this. You get, you're going to do it now because we've got to move on towards Japan. And so they were going to put a lot more uh, units into the battle, and, they pu and they're putting and organizing everything. Well, the 70th Division, they, had, they were down to this one, this one medic, 
Desmond Doss. And his commanding officer came to him and said, Doss, it's Saturday. And we're supposed to go to battle today. We need you. Will you come with us? Well, Doss's attitude was, I, it's, it's always right to do good on the Lord's day. And so he said, I'll go. But, but when they came to him, he was reading his Bible. He said, could, could I have another 15 minutes to finish my Bible reading? The request went all the way to the top of the whole, whole operation. Desmond Doss wants 15 more minutes to read his Bible before we attack. And the order came down, permission granted. That's how much they, va- they did not want to go into battle without Desmond Doss. Where it used to be they were saying, hey, if, we're going, if you don't have a gun, I don't want you near me. By the way, one of the guys that said that to him said, you are not getting near me if you're not going to stand with a gun. He saved his life. So he went into battle. They, they succeeded in driving off the Japanese fully and finally. And uh, in the battle, there, there was a foxhole and, and he was uh, um, with these, a couple other guys. And as he was getting in with them, uh, he heard and felt something, a hand grenade fell in among them. And so with his left boot, he kicked it out. But as he did, he, it went off. And he was wounded. Uh, he couldn't walk. Uh, his legs were wounded in such a way he couldn't walk. The medics came and, and, and grabbed him and put him on the stretcher. And they were trying to get him down to safety. And he saw uh, another wounded soldier. And he said, uh, I, I need to help him. He's wounded. And so crawling with the use of his arms, he got over to him and gave him medical care. In the process, he was wounded again, this time shattering his arm. But he got this guy fixed. Then he took the stock of a rifle that he found, made a splint for himself, and was evacuated and taken to shipboard. When he got on board the ship for his medical evacuation, to his dread, he found out the little pocket Bible he always carried was gone. And he sent back word to those who were still on the island, if, you, if, you, if anyone comes across my Bible, please send it to me. With that, his fellow soldiers searched. They tracked all the route that he took until they found his Bible and sent it to him. And so he got, pardon me? During the battle. During battle. Under, under fire, they went hunting for Desmond Doss's body. Most of them unbelievers. But does that show you what he meant to them and how he was showing them Christ? He went into the hospital. Uh, I think he was uh, there for a year. In the process, he contracted tuberculosis. And um, in their efforts, to, they, it was a hard time of treating him. They overdosed him on antibiotics, so they lost his hearing for the rest of his life. Uh, but he came back to the States uh, on 100% disability, was granted the Medal of Honor, and uh, lived to like, 92. Uh, died in 2006. But I mention these men because each one in a different way. A, an aggressive, beloved general. A uh, undereducated so, uh, soldier who was a really good shop, but a pacifist. A dedicated pacifist who was so pacifist he wouldn't touch a rifle or a weapon but got the Medal of Honor because of so many lives he saved. 
And all three, all three have been honored in the secular world for their heroism and for their conviction. Desmond Doss has been honored, and uh, I, I saw a powerful documentary on him called The Conscientious Objector. A secular movie has been recently made about him, even though he died in 2006, since then it's been made. Kind of reminds me of that movie, Chariots of Fire, that honors a, uh, the Olympic runner who wouldn't run, Eric Little, because of his conviction. And so I think we, should, we, we need to honor men and women like this, who, who are men and women of faith and courage and conviction. And recognize something. Even though the world may reject our conviction, if we live consistently with our faith, they see that. And it makes an impact. And so too often people today say, well, if I live out my convictions, it will, I, I will lose my testimony to the watching world. Wrong. The best way we can have an effective testimony to a watching world is living faithfully to Jesus Christ, faithfully to our convictions, as these men did. Well, that's the, the, the issue of honor, uh, but then the attitude of gratitude that we need to have. And I didn't mean to do that attitude of gratitude, but it just came out. But we owe gra- a debt of gratitude to those who've given their life. I so appreciate the Gettysburg Address. I won't quote it all to you, but when Lincoln was dedicating a cemetery at Gettysburg after that battle, still during the war, he said, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it. It's already holy ground because of those who fought here so ferociously, he was saying. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. Lincoln is right. We, we owe a debt of gratitude. They gave their life for our liberties. We ought not to surrender them. We ought to preserve them and cherish them as, as a gift. As I mentioned before, the, I so appreciate the, that statement on the, on the Korean War Memorial. Freedom is not free. It's been purchased at a terrible and and precious price. Of course, when I think of that, I always think of Jesus Christ. Freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from condemnation eternally. Purchased. Our salvation is not free. Free, we pay no price, but he paid an infinite price. We owe a debt of gratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, our eternal liberty, but we owe a debt of gratitude to those who have given that last full measure of devotion. So Armed Forces Day, we, we honor those who are serving in the Armed Forces. Veterans Day, we honor those who have served. Memorial Day, we honor those who have died. 
who have given that last full measure. We honor them for their bravery, their commitment to country and service and training, their sacrifices. We honor them. And we owe them gratitude. We often think of the, when we think of our military, let's see, there's the uh, Army. Can you think of another one? Navy. Air Force. Okay, Coast Guard. That, I was wondering if anyone remembered them. Often they get forgotten. Poor Coast Guard. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. What about the Coast Guard? Isn't it nice to protect our coast? Um, they, protect, they actually protect our Navy. That's their job. Their motto is um, Semper Paratus. Semper Paratus. Semper, you might recognize, like Semper Fi, Semper Fidelis. Semper Paratus is always ready. At a moment's notice, a ship may be going down, Mayday. You don't, you don't have time to say, we're going to organize something, we'll call you back in a month. Mayday, you come now. Always ready. Well, the story's told, a ship was stranded off Cape Hatteras on the Diamond Shoals. One of the life-saving crews reported the fact to the ship that the ship had run ashore on the dangerous shoals. The old skipper gave the command to, to man the lifeboat, and one of the men shouted out that we not make we might we might make it out we might make it out to the wreck, but we would never make it back. The old skipper looked around and said, "The blue book says we've got to go out. It doesn't say a thing about having to come back." And that's sort of the motto, the secondary motto of the Coast Guard. We have to go out. There's no command that we must come back. So, in other words, it's right there. Our task is to go and save. And we're, and, and we're to be more concerned about saving the lives of those who are in trouble than our own lives. And so that has become their motto. And so we... We have thanksgiving for those who've lived that in every branch of the service, who have been willing to give their life uh, to save others, and to save our freedoms, and to save our liberties. And so Memorial Day to me is, is, is a responsibility, not just the day, but the concept. We honor those who are serving. We honor those who have served. And some of them have paid a terrible price as well. And the wounds, physical and emotional and spiritual. And we honor those who have given the last full measure of devotion. Because there's no greater love that can be given than to lay down your life. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ says. And so when, when I'm there at those national cemeteries and I see the rows and rows, I always think, sacred ground. When I, when I see the, the pictures of Normandy Beach and the cemetery nearby, sacred ground. And how we ever must be grateful. And so I would just encourage us, to, we've given the service over, because they're basically saying, this, this honors the Lord that we honor those who have served. Most supremely, we think of our Lord Jesus Christ. We think of many a believer that was willing to die rather than renounce their faith. But on Memorial Day, we remember those 
who gave their life that we might enjoy ours in freedom and safety. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the nation in which we live. We thank you, Father, for the liberties and freedoms that we've enjoyed and the peace. Father, I thank you for those who even now are in harm's way across this world that we might be free. I thank you for those who have served and put themselves in harm's way that we might be free. And Father, for those who have given their life, we thank you for their service. Lord, we pray for those who have lost, for those who have served and returned and yet have lost in the process. We pray your healing, your comfort. Father, for those who have lost a loved one in service, we pray for those families that grieve the lost and ask that they might know your comfort and strength. And Father, as our nation honors such, may we value and treasure what these were ready to die for. Father, when we think of death and honor, we cannot be too far from our minds today of thinking of, again, those who have so terribly perished in, in Uvalde. How we pray your grace and comfort there as well. We thank you for those who courageously sought to intervene. We thank you for teachers who put themselves in harm's way for others. And so, Father, in all of this, we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, who put himself in harm's way, who bore the full wrath of your justice, that we might know your forgiveness and your righteousness in him. Lord, we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen.